From RTE Radio, I'm Neil O'Sheridan. This is Playback Daily. They have a public investment fund which has uh, $680 billion. They've spent $2.5 billion or thereabouts on, on live so far. It's 0.04%. So I do think it's so important we protect these wildlife. And sometimes, as in this case, it's probably by staying away from them. Mm-hmm. Now, <laughs> we didn't know this, ladies and gentlemen, but Pauline <laughs> MacLynn is a huge fan of Noel Fitzpatrick. Oh, yeah. I'm fangirling way out the door you, you on this You didn't know one. that Pauline MacLynn is my actual wife. Coming up on this edition of Playback Daily, the office Christmas party. Should you go or no? The office Christmas party. If you go, what should you wear? And the office Christmas party. Ray threw one in Dublin Castle today. That's all in the way of the next hour of the radio catch-up show that's perfectly happy with its own company this Christmas. On this morning's nine o'clock show monologue, Brendan Courtney began by reminiscing about what some Dubliners used to unkindly call Culchy Day. Am I allowed to say that? And a day we would have remembered for different reasons. Um, I, I don't know, we were talking about this and it really came all flooding back to me. This was, 8th of December was traditionally the big shop day. Remember that? So as a dub, I remember we would, my father would be very much about avoiding the, the, the big department stores on the 8th of December because basically all, all, all of rural Ireland evacuated the fields and the smaller towns and villages and headed into the cities to do their Christmas shopping. But they would do like their big shop. You'd get your winter coat on your shoes. It's actually uh, the Immaculate Conception, the Feast of, and it was a day off from National School as well, which was kind of great. I actually remember one year, my dad and mum forgot about the 8th and we ended up on Henry Street in, I'd never seen it as busy in my life and my father just kept going on and on and on about getting caught and forgetting about it. Uh, is it still a tradition? Are you going shopping today? Is is this the original Black Friday? Well, we had a little dig into the uh, RTE archives to get a sense what the 8th used to be and here's a little news clip from um, Jerry Ward from 1989. December the 8th, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception is traditionally the day when people from the rest of the country travel to Dublin for a day's shopping and this year was no exception. From early this morning, there were queues in some of the main roads into Dublin, and Irish Rail expect over 10,000 people to travel through their stations today. It is one of the busiest days in the year, mainly because I think people from the provinces still try to come up here, and uh, it's a day out in the city. We usually come every year just for a day, and we usually shop with our brother, so we all meet and have a meal in the evening. And you don't think you get the same bargains, Dan? Oh, probably. It was just a time really a day out, you know. <laughs> it's so cute, isn't it? I remember it so well. And the queue for Santa at Switzer's was never as long on the 8th of December. Do you remember? Uh, it's really all coming back now. And we went even, we had another little dig even further back. We went back to 1975. And uh, here's uh, Vivian Dudgeon, the sales manager in a department store. Here, listen to this speaking at the end of this clip. The 8th of December is traditionally one of those days when Dublin is invaded from the country. The scene downtown is something like All-Ireland Final Day, but this time it's Ladies' Day out looking for Christmas bargains. On the surface, it's hard to believe that there's an economic crisis. Downtown traders are confidently predicting a record-breaking spending spree. For a number of years we have seen that less and less people are coming to Dublin to shop with us. But today, as you can see, uh, we're thrown and quite a number of country accents appearing through the Dublin accent. 
<laughs> a ladies' day for shopping. Thronged all sorts of things you wouldn't say now in a news report, let me tell you. 8th of December, uh, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, of course. We must acknowledge that. But it was traditionally that big shop day. And I, I wonder other families who are still in their car now heading to Cork or Limerick or Galway or Dublin to do the big family shop. Surely you jest, Brendan. Imagine being out with hordes of people from the country trying to do your shopping. The thought of it. Kidding. Kind of. Really, isn't that why God invented the internet? Now, there's a new piece of art due in the National Gallery in Dublin next year, the title of which Brendan likes to say a lot. And who could blame him? If you're knocking around doing a bit of shopping, or I kind of like it when I'm shopping by myself, and... I joined the two things. So the National Gallery um, in Ireland, in Dublin, it's right in the city centre there um, on, on the corner of Merrion Square and Clare Street. Absolutely love it. I really like the National Gallery. It's generally free, has a gorgeous shop, a little cafe. And what I've done a couple of times is gone in with my shopping bags and just had a little sit in front of a piece of art. Just a moment with myself. And they're delighted the National Gallery has acquired a rare piece of Harry Clark, who is a world-renowned stained glass artist and they are currently um, under, it's currently undergoing some conservation treatment but and it will go on display in the public room for free uh, next year. Um, it, the piece that they've got is called Titania Enchanting Bottom which I like anyway. Um, Shakespeare's comedy A Midnight Summer's Dream it's a, it depicts a scene from that but uh, the National Gallery, like if you're out shopping, and all cities have galleries as well, all major cities have galleries, and mostly are free. I have to say, it's I reconnected with that uh, with that experience, and particularly I like doing it by myself. I suppose kids will love it as well. But uh, yeah, congratulations, National Gallery, and can't wait to see that uh, piece, Titania Enchanting Bottom. I keep saying that can make kids giggle. And why not? Next, some violent content, probably not suitable for those kids giggling at Titania Enchanting Bottom. I, I'm squeamish. I don't like violence. Can't bear it. Like, I get annoyed with violent movies and turn them off. Can't bear it. Um, I'm very squeamish. But when you're sitting bored and death scrolling on your phone and you shouldn't be acting, you know, so mindlessly, and you stumble across some of these rather shocking videos. Well, I st- yesterday I actually stumbled across this video it was particularly upsetting and I actually didn't watch the whole thing. I skimmed past it. But it was a video of a woman standing, you can see it very clearly, in front of a a takeaway food counter. She's a customer and there's a, in the background facing her, they're obviously having an argument, is a, a worker in a uniform. And uh, the video, I, caught, I just caught it and skimmed past it. The woman, the customer, is throwing the food that she's obviously just taken over the counter into the face of the worker. It's really quite upsetting. Well, that story has grown legs and gone viral. So the woman, Rosemary Hain, berated, and it was a chipolate uh, a chain of Mexican fast food restaurants. We don't have it here. It's all over America. Uh, Emily Russell, on September 5th, and she... Uh, threw the food back in her face at close range. The video went viral. Anyway, Hain, Rosemary Hain, the 39-year-old mother of four, pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor assault charge and received a sentence last week in Ohio. The judge gave her a choice. She could have a 90-day jail sentence or a 30-day sentence on top of a 60-day working in a fast food job. And the judge said, do you want to walk in her shoes for two months and learn how people should be should treat people or do you want to do jail time? And she said, so slight showing redemption, I'd like to walk in her shoes. So she took the 30 days 
uh, incarceration and 60 days working in fast food jobs. So she did show remorse. It's a horrible video, but it just shows. What I like about the story is people don't get away with that. And I think that's one little lesson to be learned that behave yourself, especially when you're dealing with people who are working frontline jobs and they're, you know, on minimum pay and they're working all sorts of hours. So show respect, people. Everybody's busy. I get it. Here, here. But wait, did you know that the online world is frequently unkind and sometimes just downright mean? This is an interesting one because this story presents as kind of public, a public warning in a way and that a Facebook group has raised some serious concerns. It's already got this Facebook group has 25,000 members. It's a private members Facebook group so it means you have to apply to, to be part of it. But it's called Are We Dating the Same Guy? And the group was set up, it's up in Northern Ireland actually, um, the group was set up to name men who should be avoided on dating apps and has been described as con- extremely concerning. Now, on first reading it, of course you go, ooh, GDPR, all sorts of crazy things could happen on this. But you do think, well, yeah, I mean, women being safe, you know, if they've experienced some negative things on dating apps, sharing information with other women, is it kind of a set? But no, 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 no. Um, the comments are about the characters of men, their behaviour on dates, their looks, their chat-up lines, all posted with a picture of them. So we'll be watching this space closely. Um, the charity Men's Alliance Northern Ireland has warned the character associations online are very dangerous and damaging. So, yeah, it's in, I don't, it hasn't been taken down yet. And um, I don't know if they're still sharing profiles of men. And you can see how this started, but... Yeah, you can't be posting negative stuff about somebody just because you don't like them, really, can you? And also, if you post something online, you can't take it back. So, mm, very scary, very scary. You wouldn't want to end up on one of them Facebook groups, would you? Remember Facebook? Was that still a thing? I guess it must be. Anywho, time for a bit of positivity to end this morning's monologue. So, this is really gorgeous. I have never heard of this guy. Uh, This guy, um, James is a plumber and James had a private plumbing company for years and then he gave it up, sold his plumbing company and set up a charity um, called Disabled and Elderly Plumbing and Heating Emergency Response and it's a free service where he helps elderly and disabled customers who have problems with their heating and their plumbing. Well, Hugh Grant and his wife Anna came across his uh, GoFundMe page and they donated £20,000 £20,000. So um, James, the plumber, took to uh, X and said, after speaking privately to Hugh and Anna, I have the permission to share the wonderful Christmas gift. And the charity is called D-E-P-H-E-R, DEFER, which stands for Disabled and Elderly Plumbing and Heating Emergency Response. Catchy. Um, He's tweeted, the wonderful and humbling donation of £20,000 will give hope to thousands of people and families and children, especially with the cost of living crisis. They both both have my lifetime of respect and love. That is such a lovely story. Hugh Grant. Gotta love Hugh Grant. Gotta love him. Um, He's outspoken. He makes some interesting choices in the movies he's making lately, but I love him. He's brilliant. There you are now. Isn't Hugh Grant marvellous altogether? Well, except for Mickey Blue Eyes, that really didn't work for me. But anyway, let us cease and desist from further forays into the nine o'clock show monologue and put our pens down here and now.
If you've anything approaching a passing interest in golf, you may have noticed that the sport is experiencing something of a civil war as players decide between the established PGA Tour and the new money train that is the Saudi-backed Live Golf Tour. One player that used to scoff at the very notion of joining Live Golf is current Masters champion John Ram. And now, guess what? Well, he's only just gone and joined Live Golf. Whatever could the reason for that change of heart be, I wonder? On this morning's Today with Claire Byrne, RTE's own golf commentator Greg Allen joined Claire to talk about Ram's switch and what it means for the game. Claire started by playing a clip of Ram talking about his decision to join the breakaway tour. God, yeah, it, uh, I've been hearing some things for a few years now. Yeah. Um, I think the innovation in, in the vision of Live Golf is what pushed me over to at least give it a chance and, and hear the pitch out and uh, ultimately ended up being what a... I guess I wanted to hear, right? Uh, I believe in the growth of the game of golf. Uh, I've largely spoken about how Sevi improved the game of golf in Spain, yeah. and I've always said how I would like to do the same thing over there. And if I can reach a bigger audience, it would be amazing. Mm. Well, the move was uh, obviously driven by the wealth of the Saudi Arabian backers, and it's a blow to the PGA Tour. So, Greg, how much of a shock was this? Uh, well, it wasn't a shock for the last few weeks, uh, but it is a blow of a high level, probably the biggest blow that the PGA Tour have suffered in, in all of this sort of live cycle of events. Uh, if you compare it to, say, the world number one, former world number one like Dustin Johnson, uh, Cameron Smith, who was the Open champion in 2022, and he jumped ship within a few weeks, they were big. Uh, Brooks Kepka, the best player in the majors championship, that was big. None of those has Rams charisma. And none of those either have the international footprint that Ram has, who's both very popular in America and very popular in Europe, in fact, popular around the world because he plays an audacious game, uh, one that's very, very attractive to watch. And not only that, he's just a big character. And when they went for Ram, they went for the biggest fish they could possibly go for because Tiger Woods is a loyalist of the PGA Tour. So too is Rory McIlroy. Ram is the next biggest needle mover. And now Ram is gone. And it's an indication, I think, that there are talks at the moment going on between the PGA Tour and Live Golf, uh, the public investment fund of Saudi Arabia, which backs Live Golf. They're reported to not be going very well. They've been in train since June the 6th when the so-called framework agreement, which ended all the, the lawsuits, which mm -hmm. were massively draining the funds of the PGA Tour. And since that June the 6th agreement was trumpeted um, as being the resolution to all of these issues, um, it hasn't been going well. And the PGA Tour had been courting funds from Wall Street because they're, they're being investigated by the Department of Justice for being a monopolistic uh, organisation. And so they needed investment from outside the Saudi Arabia investment to kind of make it seem much more open and appease the, the concerns of the Department of Justice. And now they've pulled in John Ram into their organisation when everybody thought that the big recruitments were going to end. And the reason for that is they felt that they were being sidelined in those negotiations, that they were courting Fenway Sports and other big money uh, Wall Street operations uh, who were going to invest in the PGA Tour and the PIF, the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia, said, OK, if you're going to do that, we're going to hit you hard where it really hurts and we're going to take one of your biggest stars. And now this will gain huge traction for the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia to go back to the negotiation table and say, and ask the PGA Tour to deal with them seriously. And there's yes. a deadline there for 31st of December that has to be reached Which in those you, negotiations, you, allegedly. You'd wonder, you know, how much Liv want to carry on with that deal and those negotiations if they took this sort of audacious move. Because, as you say, the negotiations weren't going well. You can't imagine how 
frosty that's going to be. Are they due to meet next week? You know, it's tricky now, isn't it? Well, I, you know, when, when business people operate around the table, I don't think it's frostiness. I think it's real politic. You know, they know that, OK, sorry, uh, we've made a, a bit of an error here, I think, perhaps in sidelining you. And thereby, John Ram going is such a big deal that now if you look at the two headline acts, uh, say the th- three best players that the PGA Tour has and the three best players that Liv has, they're pretty much equal. Mm-hmm. So Scotty Sheffield of the world, number one, not very charismatic, but a great player. Rory McIlroy, hugely charismatic. Uh, and probably after that, Patrick Cantley, not char- charismatic. They're probably the best three players that the PGA Tour has right now. And then you look at the top three players that they have in Liv. John Ram, Cameron Smith, Brooks Kepka. Every bit, one for one, they could take on the top three in the, the PGA mm-hmm. Tour for commercial or golf matters, you know, on the yeah. golf course, and it would, they would be their equal. So why, this is a, a you know, a, a very naive question, but why did John Ram do this? It's funny because clearly, he, you know, from the clip that you played there, uh, he also said things like, um, uh, would my life change with 400 million? He said this in June of 2022. Yeah. And he said, no, it wouldn't change one bit. Um, I could retire right now and be fine. And at that 29. Was, yeah, at, at, he was only 28 <laughs> at the time. And effectively, he was saying that the money wasn't the issue. Uh, like, and to, to quote the line from the song, and then he went and spoilt it all by saying something stupid like, grow the game last night, yeah. which is, you know, just this repeated mantra that uh, live, which I think is being drummed into all the players who signed for live that they're, they're growing the game. What they're doing is they're, they're, they are now not, they're, they've always been a serious player, but now they're almost at the top end. They don't have the depth that the PGA Tour has, but at the top end, they're as big as the PGA Tour. And that is going to mean that they're going to have to come to an agreement. Greg Allen talking to Claire Byrne this morning about John Ram's rumoured $500 million move to the Live Golf Tour. Lads, I'll move for much less than that. Honest. On this afternoon's Live Line, Joe Duffy spoke to callers about their hobbies. And one of the people he spoke to was campanologist Peter Brown. Campa what, gay? He's a bell ringer, isn't he? Peter Brown, what is your hobby? I'm a bell ringer, Joe. Ah, off you go. Yeah. How, Um, when, where, why is it so good? Why is it so good? Um, Well, most most people going around hear bell ringing and they think it's on a machine. But we have uh, a number of... uh, bell ringers in Ireland who devote their hobbies to ringing bells in churches and cathedrals. And how many many years have you been bell ringing? I first learned how to handle a bell in St George's Church in Temple Street in 1958. That beautiful, beautiful church beside the Children's Hospital. Okay. Yeah, why why right, were yeah. you interested? Well, it, it simply was my parish church and we were in the Boys Brigade and uh, about 20 of us were brought up to Belfry on a Monday evening to have a look and, and so on. So we most of us stuck to it. How many campanologists are there, do you know, in Dublin, for example? How many bells can be rung by campanologists, apart from mich- ones that are rung, r- rung by machines? Well, in St. Patrick's Cathedral now, where I ring, we have yeah. actually 15 bells, but because of semitones and things, we, we can ring 12 at any one time. Okay. Open Christchurch Cathedral, they have 16, and they can ring 16 in sequence, yeah. Okay, and what about the Pro Cathedral? 
No, Bro Cathedral only has the one bell here in uh, the Angels of. Yeah. And what about but, uh, and, uh, Andrew Street Church where, where Shane's no, remains there's, there's stopped no, today as they were going to yeah, Western no, Row? The, uh, no, uh, there's no bells there. No, the bells of rings in Dublin are St. Patrick's Cathedral, Christchurch yeah. Cathedral, St. Audwin's Church in High Street, ah, John's Lane, John's Lane, and yeah. Christ Christchurch Taney out in Dundrum, yeah. Okay, so um, Marlborough, the Pro Cathedral has won the Nobel Prize because they've no bells. That's right, okay, yeah. But they have okay. the one bell that you, that you hear the Angelus rung on, yeah. Okay, and uh, yeah. that used to be the bell that the Angelus in RT Radio, and they ran, believe it or not, they ran a wire from the GPO across the, right. the roofs and dropped it into the Pro Cathedral mm-hmm. and they used to broadcast the Angelus live. Every day. That's okay. correct. What's, yeah, what, it's recorded now. So how long have you been bell ringing? Well, I first learned to handle a bell in St. George's Church in 1958. Wow. So wow. Um, I, I, I dropped it for a few years when they sent me off to boarding school and then okay. I what took do you, it back up What do you love about it? Well, I, I like the sound that we make, the music we make, um, mm-hmm. and the companionship of, of our other ringers. Because most of the ringers that I'd be ringing with were together for 20, 30, 40 years. So we're a kind of a little fellowship between us all. And is it, does it require a lot of skill, bell ringing? No, uh, it doesn't require no. much skill except training, which is learning how to handle the bell safely. Uh, my, my poor late mother used to say that bell ringing was for those who had no musical ability but wanted to make music. Is there a, a competition for bell ringers? <laughs> we do. Oh, there is. <laughs> we do indeed. We are indeed. Um, the Ireland is split. The island of Ireland, of which there's about thirty different towers, are split into three districts: north, east, and south. Okay. And each of each of those districts, every March, have a competition. And who's the current the winner, uh, bell ringing champion? The campanologist. Unfortunately, we were picked by Christchurch last May. Only down the road from you. Yeah, only right, down yeah. the road. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's it. So we, we were the, we were the previous holders up to that. Yeah. So how how can I take up bell ringing? Do I just watch out to, for vacancies? Well, ba- 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 basically, give me a call or um, okay. what, what we we have a a part on the website. It's bell ringing at St Patrick's Cathedral, Dublin. And if you're interested and, uh, in bell ringing. And anybody does, if they send an email okay. into that, and if difficulty with the email address, if they look up the cathedral website, they'll get a link through to that. And can and a person, briefly, it, can a person, uh, Peter, can a person go in and see you bell ringing, see how it's done? Absolutely, absolutely. Oh, that's yeah. brilliant. We, we, okay. we always welcome visitors. Great. See, well, our, our problem, Joe, is if you go into the cathedral, you're seeing the choir, you're hearing the yeah. organ, but the bells were 75 steps up the tower, so... OK, but you do uh, allow people... We have to keep... The, yeah. Oh, we're always welcome visitors, oh, yeah, brilliant. very much so. Love to see that, yeah. yeah. OK, that's yeah. bell so ringing. You'll be, be welcome any Sunday morning or afternoon, George. Oh, well, I love, I, well, I love St. Patrick's Cathedral. It's one of the great... Uh, yeah. tranquil places in the country well done and there's, as you say you mentioned semitones so there's light bells heavy bells middle bells yeah okay. uh, basically in our ring of 12 our heaviest bell is 4500 weight which is wow. equivalent to um, 2286 kilos wow and the lightest would be down to about seven seven hundred weight. So, okay. we, yeah, we're, we're, our heaviest bell is in the scale of C, and then with the semitone okay. we can bring in. But G if people or contact F, you, they, if they're interested, they can go in and see, have a look. Yeah. Okay. okay. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But on we would email, just like them the to contact us yeah, first, of course. Oh, so we can arrange yeah. to meet them because you can understand yeah. if we don't want 
people going up the of tower course, that I know, we don't know, I know about. I know, I know, I know, because I know, it I know. can be a bit dangerous. Yep, and yep, we don't yep. want to lock and anybody are you, in. Are you sick of puns when you tell people what you do? That rings a bell and that chimes with oh, me. Oh, yeah, you get and all, give the, us, all the usual. Yeah. Give us a ring yeah. and all the carry on. Okay, Peter, give us a yeah, ring any time, yeah. Peter. That's bell ringer Peter Brown talking to Joe Duffy about his hobby of campanology on this afternoon's Live Line. Christmas parties, still a thing or too passé? On this morning's Nine O'Clock Show, Brendan Courtney spoke to Sarah Morrissey of Davis Events Agency about how to have a better Christmas party. And he started by asking her if the Christmas party has bounced back from COVID at all. I think last year was kind of the first year that we were able to have parties again. Um, People maybe weren't thinking about it as much last year. We weren't sure. But this year, it's definitely back, um, back with a boom for sure. So uh, the big companies like the tech companies, they've had, they've seen, they've been right sizing all this year. So we've seen budgets maybe being slashed, have we, from the bigger side of things? For sure, for sure. There's definitely, um, I suppose, more of a trend going towards your your team or your department having uh, their own Christmas party rather than your larger companies, for sure. So we're, we're remembering that. Do you remember you'd go to a Christmas party in the old Burlington and there'd be a thousand people at it? There would, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And that, that was a staple of our, of our winter mm-hmm. going out. Um, but as you said, people are doing them in a more compressed way or maybe by department. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So traditionally, when we think of it, we think of an open bar. We, we do. Uh, and because I remember when open bars became a thing in the 80s mm-hmm. and, you know, you, you thought it was the last night of the world when you were young and, and stupid like me. But it's not the case anymore, is it really? It open. isn't. It isn't. Um, I think as well, I suppose, with those budget cuts, um, it's it's a thing. But uh, companies are moving towards more of the, the token system. So you might have three or four tokens given to you at the start of the night. There are three or four drinks. And then after that, you're you're on your own as to, to paying for drinks. I think I think it kind of it definitely limits the the amount of pe- alcohol that people are drinking. Um, as you said, it's not the end of the world um, and we're not drinking as much. Um, but I think a lot of people are choosing to not drink alcohol at all at these Christmas parties. There's been a huge trend since COVID for health and wellness. People are, are definitely going towards the non-alcoholic options and it's really important that you have those sort of options at your party too. Uh, and that, and which is good, right? So, uh, you know, it's, uh, people, younger people particularly as well, t- turning away from just getting crazy drunk, which mm-hmm. is great to hear. Um what other activities are people doing then if they're, you know, they're not playing drinking games like we used to? Yeah, yeah. So I, there, as you said, there's definitely kind of a, a movement away from um, your your traditional dinner, your drinks. Um, a lot of the time people want to have some sort of activity, some sort of thing to do to, to um, I suppose give more of a connection to people within their their Christmas party, um, especially with COVID times. Not everyone's seeing everyone every day. You might be hybrid, you might be fully remote as well. Um, so the type of activities, we've done cocktail masterclasses, we've done um, tie-dye workshops. Sorry, I'm going to stop you there. Tie-dye workshops at a yeah. Christmas party. The world's gone mad. What's that about? <laughs> well, it gives you something that you can take home for sure. Oh, and yeah. it's something creative as well. Things like paint and sip. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware, like you, you might no. have a drink and you you. you you all paint the same picture and you kind of get your creativity flowing. It sounds like you're describing a really, you know, oppressive hen party. (laughs) (laughs) Sit there and paint, you know, let's do something fun. Is is it fun? Yeah. 
I think it is. I think it is. Uh, like some people could be awful at painting, but it, it, it's, bit of crack. It, it's a bit of crack. And it, I suppose it, it, it gives you the conversations that you're having that might not necessarily be work. Like, so you're at a Christmas party. You don't want to be talking about work all the time. You can be talking about different things and it, it kind of draws the conversation into something You else. recently did a party with the Pac-Man machines branded what? we Ooh. did yeah so I'd um, love that and that's like a, in a tournament yeah yeah so we we um, created a, a bespoke Pac-Man game branded for for the, the company and um, there was like a, a, we put it on a large LED screen so people could see the game happening exactly and you had your 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 old school controls with the, the joystick with four players in front of it so everyone could watch who was playing and, and there was a tournament there was leaderboards people are terribly competitive um, I'm not going to tell you really job but have you watched Squid Games The Challenge yet? I have yeah. I'm telling you now we're going to do one called Quid Games <laughs> <laughs> and it's literally Battleship, Marbles. I love it. Says, you know, they're all great games for Christmas party aren't they? They really are and I've actually in one of my um, old companies, old teams we used to get together uh, regularly and just do board games okay. all the time. It really just depends on the team and their personality for sure um, what sort of activity you might go towards. And another thing about you know avoiding alcohol at these meetings uh, you know, because you're with, there's a lineage in your workplace naturally, your boss is going to be there. Mm-hmm. And I always say to people, actually, be careful where you use your credits. <laughs> yeah. You know, keep your credits for yourself and for your friends. Exactly. Uh, you had your own Christmas party this week. We did. Uh, what did you do? So we um, had a, a team offsite um, in the Dean, actually, lovely enough. Um, we spent the day there. And the day? We did spend the day there. So uh, we, we're a hybrid work environment. So it's it was a chance to get everyone in one room at yeah, one time. Which is and, nice. um, we kind of looked back on the year that we had and looked forward to the year that is coming as well. Um, lots of conversations. And then um, we had a bit of a team building. We had um, a hypnotist in. Um, and Not yeah. sure how I feel about that. Yeah. So it kind of like a, a Keith Barry sort of thing, Darren Brown. Um, and it was it was great. He he um, he brought us through um, like almost like mindfulness um, for a time. So he, he had us um, through go through thought exercises and and at the end of the, the the thought exercises, it felt like he said that you would have slept for five hours. Um, so there was definitely there's a mindfulness part to it, but there was also a bit of a fun part to it as well. So he did he did um, hypnotize some of us. I, I'd be nervous about having a hypnotist, to be honest. But what I would have, and I did it once, is I put in the box room a palm reader at a party. Yes, and it was really popular. Yeah, and I had a friend who's quite well known, who shall remain nameless, had to go to pick up her kids and she came up to try and skip the queue. Oh, I love it. I yeah. said, no, I'm sorry, you can't skip the queue. I, I've done something similar as well. I put a bunch of fortune tellers in a church for Halloween. Wow, I love that. <laughs> now, now you're talking my language. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so much fun. So, um, your, 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 Christmas party sounded like an opportunity actually to bond really. It was, yeah. yeah and yeah. I think that's really important, especially as I said, hybrid, sometimes completely remote. Um, you're not having the types of like water cooler chat or the casual chats with your colleagues that you would normally have. Yeah. Um, and it's really important actually. Like there's been studies that's been proven that if you know your your colleagues on a more casual level, um, a more friendly level, it, it, it relates to a better a better team. There's more trust. There, there's less stress in the team. And you perform better, for sure. Okay, so I'm reading here, you've said uh, mobile phones are a no-no at the Christmas party. No photographs. It's like it's like a modern wedding. The bride goes bananas if you take a photograph of them. Do you know what? It's just, I mean, it's it's better to not have them. It yeah, causes, put them away. Yeah. 
yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. You, don't, you don't want any distractions at all. You don't want to be seen to be on your phone. And then there, I suppose there's some sort of connotations of like if someone's taking photos at, at the Christmas party, if someone's drunk or anything, um, you kind of just don't really want to go into that. Can I of... say, uh, uh, as a younger person mm-hmm. in the world right now, is there a general move to take phones away from social settings, do you think? Do you know, I would prefer it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I would definitely prefer but, it. And I think we're, a couple of years ago, we would have been a, a sort of a minority. But now I think we're moving into people are generally, you can say in a restaurant to your mates without getting slapped across the face. Mm-hmm. You can, will you put your phone away? Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. Like put put the phone face down, put the phone in your bag. There's there's nothing generally as pressing like as, as having the conversation. I actually get a little there. embarrassed if I forget and we're out for dinner and I put the phone on the table. Mm-hmm. I get, I, I feel, oh, that shouldn't be there. Put it away now. Yeah. So that's good. So, but in Christmas party land, if people are having a few drinks, mm-hmm. you'd get, get rid of your phone. That's not fair, right? For sure. So the Christmas party is back, baby. But, we have no photographic evidence to back that claim up. Huh. Well, that's Sarah Morrissey of Davis Events Agency talking to Brendan Courtney on this morning's nine o'clock show. And if you're going to an office party, Claire Byrne has advice on what to wear. That's coming up later on Playback Daily. COVID hasn't gone away, you know. Even though this Christmas is a lot less scary than Christmas 2021, well, at least in terms of potentially deadly diseases, the virus still lurks in the background. And on this morning's Today with Claire Byrne, Claire highlighted research that revealed that deer in Dublin's Phoenix Park became the first in Europe to be infected by COVID. How concerned should we be about this development? Claire spoke to vet and virologist Dr Nicola Fletcher from UCD's veterinary school. So it was in July, was it, when COVID was first detected in the Phoenix Park deer? So how did that come about? Yeah, so, well, it came about really because in America, early in the pandemic, um, they started to see COVID in the deer over there. They're quite different to the deer here. So they have white-tailed deer and we have uh, quite a few deer species in Europe. So we thought it would be really important to look at the Phoenix Park deer because we knew that there were a lot of visitors to the park during the lockdowns, you know. And so we started looking at uh, the deer and we didn't find anything in 2020. In 2021, we had one borderline positive. And then in 2022, we found 57% of the animals we tested were actually had antibodies against COVID-19. Okay. And, and have you got new figures since 2022? We are actually just collecting our 2023 figures and analysing them now. So to be determined. but And yeah. that's generated a lot of interest internationally, hasn't it? It has. Well, you know, we weren't the only country to start looking in our deer when the Americans started to see it. But they, the, the other countries like the UK, for example, stopped testing in 2021 because the animals had all been negative. So we thought that they, they weren't um, catching it. But we did continue to 2022. And that was when Omicron was circulating in the Irish population. And we actually think that it was Omicron. It's quite, it's different in some ways. It seems to be able to infect different species compared to the earlier variants. And we think that that's what's happened here. OK, and you were finding antibodies, which meant this was post-infection. That's so, right. So do you know if the animals were presenting in any way in terms of being sick? or unwell? Well, the animals, I mean, we're really lucky because we were able to get on the back of some really nice long-term research that's been done at UCD looking at the behaviour of these animals and their interactions with humans. And so they literally sit in the park and watch the deer, count how many times they take food from people and what kind of food. But they didn't notice that there were any 
you know, clinical signs or the animals were obviously sick. Mm-hmm. But obviously they are wild animals, so we can't, you know, catch them and examine yeah, and, them. And the deer in, in the Phoenix Park are coming up and taking food from people's hands, are they? They are, yeah. And I mean, it's a big worry because, um, you know, they're, they're fabulous animals and a lot of them are quite cheeky. They will come up and look for food from people. But I think just in the post-pandemic era, it's so important that we realise these are wild animals. We can't feed them. We should be staying away from them for our health and for their health because, you know, um, every animal that is was positive for COVID is known to take food from people. Mm-hmm. And what's the concern about this? What could happen as a result of deer getting COVID? Yeah, so, I mean, the big concern is that new reservoirs of um, infection would be established in new species. So we have to monitor wild animals to pick that up. We have to know about it if it's happening. So if a reservoir happens, that means that there's, a, you know, the, the virus can persist. And the worry, although, you know, it's a low risk, is that it might transmit back to humans. But be a different variant That's when it, it does. Yes, exactly. So how will we know if that happens? Is that in part of the work that you're doing? Yes. So as well as looking for antibodies in these animals, we're looking to see if any of the animals we test are actually infected. And if they are, then we can start to look at the virus itself and look at how close it is to humans. And we also another thing we don't know is whether the virus is able to be passed from deer to deer rather than from deer to human or mm-hmm. backwards. Mm-hmm. So that needs to be established too. Definitely, yes. And how are you testing this? Is this the excrement you're testing? Well, no, uh, the deer, because the population needs to be managed, they're culled every year. So we got permission from the OPW to access these animals and actually test their tissues and their blood. Ah, OK. Yeah. So you're getting a good a good sample and a we good read on are. what's happening. But there must be other animal species where this could be happening as well. That's true. I mean, we know um, quite a few of the animals that can be infected. You know, we know that, for example, ferrets, hamsters, domestic cats, large cats in zoos were shown to be infected early in the pandemic. But the the worry is if there's an expansion of these uh, reservoirs of infection. You know, it's really important. So is all of that being monitored? You know, are we are we looking at what's happening in domestic cats, for example? Well, it is being monitored, although perhaps less than when, you know, the pandemic was ongoing. But I think, you know, the WHO and other um, international organisations have highlighted the importance of continuing to monitor animals Mm -hmm. for the presence of not only COVID-19, but other viruses that could transmit to humans. What about dogs? Well, dogs were interesting. We thought early in the pandemic that dogs might be infected, but it now turns out that we don't think they are mm-hmm. able to be actually infected okay. and transmit to you. Isn't that interesting? Really and do we interesting. Know why? Well, it, we think it's got to do with how the viruses interact with the cells of different species. And like that's a huge area of research, trying to understand why do some viruses infect animals and then transmit to humans and then perhaps on to other species and why others just can't. And we don't fully understand why. Okay. So given what you found in the Phoenix Park, have you got colleagues now in Europe saying that we are going to ramp up our testing? Like in the UK, for example, where you said they stopped in 2021? That's right. Yeah. So I Actually, um, there are some really nice networks uh, looking at, you know, 
uh, COVID in in other species and um, a, few, a few of us have got together and said, OK, we need to start looking in other countries, mm-hmm. um, in the UK in particular, because a lot of their deer are quite similar to ours. So, yeah. you know, they're interested in looking now. And do you feel that we, we're all a bit complacent about COVID now? Because the, you've just explained that risk to us that it could come back at us from the animal population. I don't, yeah, I don't think people are necessarily complacent. I just think, you know, post-pandemic, we need to be aware that these viruses do transmit to humans. You know, it's not only COVID-19, HIV, flu, all of these um, viruses can potentially transmit to humans. And I just think we need to be really aware of it now. You know, we've got to protect our wildlife species. Um, There was a recent study, actually, um, which I thought was really concerning, showing that 96% of the mammals on our planet are now humans and are domestic animals. And only 4% of them are wildlife species. So I do think it's so important we protect these wildlife and sometimes as in this case it's probably by staying away from them. Mm-hmm. So that's advice that you would give to Definitely, everybody to, yeah, ke- to yeah. keep the distance and I know there's a lot of collaboration involved in this work uh, that you've done with the Phoenix Park deer but is there any effort being made now to encourage people not to feed them and just to keep away from them? Yes absolutely um, so Laura Griffin is a colleague of mine at UCD and she has just finished her PhD looking at the wildlife uh, human interactions in the Phoenix Park particularly with the fallow deer and you know her advice is to absolutely stay away from them the OPW tried to you know stop people people from feeding mm-hmm. the deer. And, you know, I know it's difficult because they are really lovely animals. Yeah. But ple- and, yeah, I think and they're used now to probably interacting with humans. Oh, they're you know? re- like some of them. So they're all categorised into different um, categories of beggars. And we <laughs> we have the, the um, continuous beggars and they'll actually walk up to people and basically ask for food. Right. But and so, so these are known Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, we can sit with spotting scopes in the park and actually watch them go up to people. Do they do tricks? Some class of deer busking, perhaps? No? Well, not getting my food. Anyway, that's vet and virologist Dr Nicola Fletcher from UCD's veterinary school talking to Claire Byrne this morning about COVID in the deer herd in the Phoenix Park. This afternoon, Ray Darcy threw a Christmas party. Huh, it's a bit of a theme on today's Playback Daily. And amidst the mayhem, he spoke to actor Pauline McGlynn and super vet Noel Fitzpatrick. Now, we didn't know this, ladies and gentlemen, but Pauline McGlynn is a huge fan of Noel Fitzpatrick. Oh, yeah, I'm fangirling way out the door you, you on this You didn't know one. that Pauline McGlynn is my actual wife. Oh, right, there's the <laughs> Disappointment for really a lot of ladies <laughs> out there, but hey. And strange news for my husband. Yes, yeah, yeah. Right, The official news. one, but hey, you got to spread the love. It's Christmas, <laughs> spread the love. Yeah. Yeah, both of your writers as well, as the other stuff you do, as in the vet and acting, and, and you have a new book out, uh, Kira and me. I do. I read it last night. Oh, you did? I did, yes. What did you think? Well, well I, I was crying in parts. You were crying? Oh. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my I was goodness. moved. I was moved, yeah. Well, what, what moved you about well, it? Well, like, say, for example, you're, you're checking me to see if I read it, you see. I see, I see. It's <laughs> one of these guys. It's one of these guys. No, remember, you said in one, you said the only love uh, you get to keep is the love you give away. Yes, that's isn't that a, that, that a lovely thing? Yeah, that was that was the last that was the last line of the book. In fact, I wrote that when I was thirteen, um, and it goes, uh, and when night's pillow nuzzles back the day, the only light you get to keep is the love you give away. 
Right. And yeah, that's the fulcrum of the book, and that was what I experienced with Kira, the love of my life, a little border terrier dog. How long did you have Kira? Uh, 13 years and 10 months. Right. And she, she shared a love that transcends time, Pauline, you know, and that transcends space. She's still with sure. me inside now. She's on my Fitzmaurice jumper. Right. Yes, for, for the radio <laughs> Oh, that's Kira, is it? That's Kira. Look at that. Are on that's his that's ac- actual Kira right there on right. my sweater. She changed you and your life. Uh, she supported me in my darkness and my stress, and she encouraged me in my joy, and she found uh, a joy in everything, a soggy tennis ball in the yeah. rain. And the other thing that was key for me about the book was uh, a bit there, Pauline, you will appreciate. She, it's, it's about lessons she taught me throughout my life. It's a, it's a story of love, hope, and redemption. But there's one bit in it where I'm really scared. And she goes, uh, if fear can drive you rather than destroy you, sometimes the thing you fear the most can make you least afraid. And you and I have found this when we embrace things we are scared of, like when you did your West End thing and when I do my thing. Because that was a big year for you. Your West End. Yeah, after 40 years. Overnight, I got into the West End. Hooray! Well done. (laughs) That was great. Dr. Semmelweis. Yeah, Dr. Semmelweis. Of course, I didn't want to do it because I wanted... I wanted summer in my garden in Dublin, mm-hmm. uh, a new baby on the way, not for me, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> and beyond all that, child-free, out the other end, great. Um, but yeah, we have a new baby in the family, I wanted to be around for a nephew or a niece, is it? A niece called Olive McLean, she's fabulous, very much the image of my late mother, who died very shortly before Olive decided to make um, oh, herself known. Circle of life. Um, so, you know, yeah, we're a bit worried about that, but anyway, um, you know, because honestly, um, no, Mammy, don't come back. Um, be happy wherever you are in paradise. <laughs> you know, we're grand. Um, so, yeah, there was that. And, and it was a nurse. And I thought, ah, I've played a few nurses in my time. Sure, look at whatever. But I, I did do it. And I have a feeling that my agents actually said yes to it before I even got the choice. Yeah. Um, and it was the most wonderful thing. Um, yeah, the West End. Yeah. Uh, uh, London's glittering West End. And, um, you know, we had all kinds of types in to see us. Two Spider-Men, uh, Dustin Hoffman, oh, look at you. Leo DiCaprio. Oh. Get me with calling him Leo. And the oh, other yeah. man, because I said to my wife last night that yeah. this particular man came in and she was very jealous. Which, Pedro Pascal. Oh, Pedro Pascal. Oh, my God, yes. yes. And we, oh, we were told that at an interval of a matinee. He just was walking by and he went, I fancy a look at that. In he came. He was sitting in G2. Well, all of the show went to G2 after the interval when we knew <laughs> that Pedro was in. Yeah. yeah. How so wonderful. We were talking to Judith there. I forgot to mention that they're Richie and, and Judy. Richard and they're Richard, it's Richard oh, and Judy. Yes, Richard and Judy. Hey. Ten cats. You, you've one cat? I, I have one, but I might as well have ten. She's a lot of work. She's elderly now on four different kinds of medication in there for the rest of her expensive little life. And just basically weighing and pooing wherever she pleases. Oh, nice, yeah, nice, yeah. yeah, I suggest places to her in the corners yeah. of, of rooms that I like to spend time in as well. But no, no, she'll do her own thing. Now, Noel, you've seen hundreds, thousands of people come through your, your practice. Yes. Yes. Mainly dogs, a lot of cats as well. Lots can you, of cats, can you yeah. would, If you had a line of people without their pets... <laughs> to- I know you, where you're going. Yeah, totally, yeah, we're, we're, no, totally would you, 100%. Would you, yeah, you'd, you'd know if there were cat people or dog yes, people. How, how would you know? I would, um, because I can sense and smell. <laughs> and it's remarkable how people are the exact same as their dog or their cat. It, it, they come into my room and they say... So I'm a pissy animal. Yeah, so, so uh, you know, just don't worry about it, Pauline. I'll give you a bionic bladder. It's fine. Uh, so, 
Um, but it's funny how people come in and they go, oh, hey, oh my dog is really anxious or my cat's really anxious. I'm like, mate, no, you're you, really uh, anxious. Yes, yes. Uh, or my, do my dog is crazy. No, mate, you, you are mental. <laughs> and, but you can't actually say that. Uh, yeah. But yes, I would be able to pick him up. Although... Uh, people do change. Like me, for example, I have two cats in my life now, Excalibur and Ricochet. Right. Ricochet bounces off the walls uh -huh. and Excalibur is like a giant sword that you take out of a rock. And they're wonderful, incredible cats. And they don't know, obviously, but there was a huge void in your life after Kira. Yes. Well, they had met Kira. Right. So they came along uh, before Kira. Well, she was. Uh, they were there for two years with Kira. Yeah. There's a picture of them in the book doing what they love to do the most: tear the telephone down off my desk and play right. with it. Yeah. Will you, will you, will you tell them just not because there's loads of good stories in it, but uh, very close to the end for Kira, yeah. she was in the office and she was going through various stuff on the ground, packages that arrived for you, and going. You can. Yes. Yeah, so. Um, this is a bit where Ray's referring to uh, the night before Kira passed, and I didn't know, she, obviously, I didn't know what was going to happen. And I guess there's very few people in the world that have actually had their finger on the actual heart of the being they love as it passes, because I had to cut down on her chest to try and resuscitate her. But anyway, the night before, uh, she was rooting around in my office, as she often did, snuffling around. And my office, ladies, is not the tidiest. Uh, so she found this uh, straw in a box, which remarkably came from the Ballyfin Hotel, which was a school that I went to, yes. Ballyfin College, it was at the time. Leash. In County Leash, yes. Big up Ballyfin and County Leash. So uh, she had found this straw, and inside was a candle. And it, it was as if she chose the light that she left with Aww. to keep with her. And it was an extraordinary thing because uh, she found that candle that night. The next day, she was no longer. And I put the candle in the grave with her. And then, obviously, I, I was very sad. And I was, I was crying and stuff. And then a remarkable thing happened. Um, it was as if the heavens opened. And, and it was this light that just kind of emerged, a, an, an orb yeah. which remarkably yeah. was the same color as the coat she loved and this light like the candle burning within it and off it went into the stardust. Do you know, it's a, I was talking to somebody recently about this. Um, you know, you can go um, long lengths of time without seeing people and you pick up where you left off if they're dear friends that you've grown up with or whatever. But the one thing I never ask is, I can always ask about the humans, like, how's your mother? Oh, she died, did she? You know, and we can cope with that. I never ask about the creatures. I never ask yeah. about the pets because I think that it's somehow more it's more difficult for people to get over the death of a pet. Well, you know, that, that bond is, I'm not saying it's stronger than between humans, it's just different, it's purer. Yeah, that's not weird. Pauline McGlynn there, who joined Ray Darcy, along with Noel Fitzpatrick, for a Christmas bonanza in Dublin Castle this afternoon. And finally, on this episode of Playback Daily, the Christmas party fashion advice you've been waiting for. Claire Byrne spoke to Fanula Moran, broadcaster and sustainability influencer. That's what it says here. And Aoife Duncan from The Style Bob, a personal and corporate consultancy, about how to avoid the fashion faux pas when it comes to the office party. I know it's a frivolity, but Aoife, people think I have to dress like a Christmas tree sometimes for a Christmas party. Or then they go the other way and they dress like the, they're in the office when they're at the Christmas party. So what's the right option? 
Well, first of all, Claire, when that invitation comes in, it's a bit like, oh, my God, what am I going to wear to the Christmas party? And I think people think that they need to rush out and panic and look like a Christmas decoration and buy every sequence head to toe. And I think the thing is to step back and say, first of all, what do I like to wear? Because if you're not a sequence person, there's no point in rocking up at the Christmas party, uh, you know, looking head to toe in sequence. If you're a casual dresser, for example, I've been putting my clients in lovely um, velvet jeans because if that's your thing, you go with that. But the biggest thing is to say is be prepared. It will happen. It happens every year. Um, and if you're prepared now, you don't go out panic buying and, and looking like a Christmas decoration mm-hmm. on the night. So why don't, don't you want people to go out buying? Because first of all, Claire, we own since I think the, the research says we own 60% more clothes than we own since 2014. And you should look in the wardrobe first. That's mm-hmm. the first thing to do because we all have so many clothes. And when I think of Christmas dressing, I actually turn it a bit and I think about winter dressing. Because if we think mm-hmm. about winter dressing, we think of velvet, we think of red, love red. Uh, we think of burgundies, we think of jacquard, we think of metallics. So we all have those in our wardrobe. We really do. I'm here obviously with my with my jewelry ba- box of tricks. But if you if you look outside your wardrobe first, see how can I elevate something rather than go out shopping and buying something that you may not necessarily wear again. Well, that's music to Fanula's ears there now, <laughs> Absolutely. <isn't it? laughs> but I'm that's right exactly company. what I do. If I'm buying something, I've spent my hard earned money on it. I want it to work really hard for me. And I think something I've reframed my Christmas habits when I'm shopping with as well as this am I going to be repulsed by this come January? Do you know when you ever see like the leftover sparkly rack in the sales? 100%. And, you're like, oh. and if, you buy, if, I, if I ever buy anything with sequins on it, which is a very rare thing, I hate it by the 31st of December. See, you know. I am a magpie all year round there. So as much as I love my sustainability, like sequins, essentially plastics, everything else will get onto that, I'm sure. But just make sure it's something that works for you. It's something that you do love. And it's not just festive faff that you're going to absolutely hate really, really soon. I think the Environmental Protection Agency this year found that 46% of us buy things that we never end up wearing. So if you think of all that wasted money sitting in your wardrobe, yeah. it's just not something we need mm. in cost of living crisis. And as well as that, I I would say if people are thinking of panic buying, maybe do some panic borrowing. Like my best friend had her Christmas party last Friday. She was like, went through my Instagram and was like, oh, this pink velvet suit. Velvet's a fab one for Christmas. It's so much fun. She's like, do you have this? Is it wash? Can I wear it? And I was like, yeah, there you go. She picked it up on the way home from work and she was sorted. No money spent. So yeah, it's just really way handy little it. ways around But it. you're not a bad humbug. I mean, look at your snowflake oh, no. earrings my that you've in today. My very talented <laughs> and I've got my, I'm wearing my Christmas day clothes today. I'm very bold mm. <laughs> wearing them early. But this is a secondhand top from a brand that I wouldn't normally justify spending the money on if I was buying it new but I was like oh I found it second hand so I was going to treat myself to that then and it cost like a fraction of the price so that's the way I'd go about things then and another key thing just rewear what we have. It's something that I think is still a really alien concept because we've so recently been conditioned by social media and fast fashion to think, oh, I've worn something in front of camera once. It can never possibly be worn again. It's a psychological, fascinating mm-hmm. phenomenon. So just peeling back from that and going, I love this this year. I love it next year. And then you can do seasonal cycling as well, which will make everything in your wardrobe seem really new again. Mm-hmm. That's just popping stuff away and then bringing it back down each year. And you're like, oh, new eyes. It's fresh in front of you again. And if you're not averse to sequins, because you're wearing them today, <laughs> anyone who's watching this on our camera, you've got the most fabulous sequin skirt. I do. And one thing I want to say about the sequin skirt, actually, because, you know, I do love a little bit of sequins, um, is that if you can buy a sequence in a colour that's kind of a 12 month of the year thing, um, it's better. So 
I actually bought this in a Christmas sale last year. But my first time to take it out was in May um, with, you know, I, with kind of bare legs. This morning I am wearing it with, with purple tights, a bit, bit barney today. But if you were, if you buy black sequins, it really is just for Christmas. But a coloured sequins can be all year round. Also, I love separates as opposed to being a full on sequins dress. Um, because then it's not like, oh God, here she comes again. And I've toned it down today, obviously, um, with the knit or maybe just not to look like I was out the night before <laughs> um, I, I, as I did in Spa this morning um, so I just I just feel that that coloured sequence really looks lovely also in mm-hmm. April May as well so think of it as a 12 months of the year and we had a great chat on the way in about the quality of the sequence mm-hmm. because obviously if you buy good quality sequence you don't leave that trail on the ground and they stay it's, <laughs> they it's actually the, Yeah, Hansel and Gretel yes. <laughs> we were here home. can we talk about uh, flesh at the Christmas party how much of it is acceptable to show so what I would say about the Christmas party is at the end of the day, it is an extension of your work, right? And I suppose the last thing you want is to be there perhaps with a lot of cleavage and you might be going into a boardroom or meeting room on the Monday morning and being interviewed by that person. And you don't want that lasting image of you uh, to be, oh gosh, you know, someone's cleavage or a very short skirt. Having said that, it's a wonderful time to show a little bit of personality. And what I always say to people uh, with the Christmas party is try and not look like like that you've just left the office. Try and look a little bit different than what you do on a, on a daily basis. So if you do decide you want to show a little bit of cleavage, what I always do in terms of my own personal style is if I'm going to go a little bit lower on, on the top, I will add a longer skirt or trousers and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So you can do it in a classic way, but be conscious that you don't want you you want your clothes to to make you rememberable for the right reasons. So think of when it can go awfully wrong. But you don't well. want people talking about you on Monday. No. So no. if you get the legs out, maybe cover the rest. Is that is that good advice? That's that's always what I like to do <laughs> <Okay>. myself. Um, <laughs> and I, I'm not sure of you, your thoughts of that. But I remember my own first Christmas two years ago and it was actually Trina McCarthy from the Sunday Independent. Yeah. She was working in Whistles in Brown Thomas for talking 25 years ago. And it was a brown sparkly knitted cardigan. Um, and it was just great fun. And I, I wore it for years, you know, but it was it was showing my personality as well, um, which is always good to do. So a bit of sparkle, a bit of you, but n- nothing there that was going to be the punch line in a story on the Monday. No. And also remember, Claire, social media. You know, if you are there and you're caught on camera in a really weird position, not a good look. We've all been there, right? Claire Barron talking this morning to Fanula Moran, broadcaster and sustainability influencer. And Aoife Duncan from the Style Bob, a personal and corporate consultancy about dodging those not good looks at the office Christmas party. And that's all I have for you on this edition of Playback Daily. The programme was compiled, written and edited by me, Nilo Shurathon. Don't forget you can listen back to all the programmes featured on Playback Daily on the RTE radio app. I'll be back on Monday for more catch-up shenanigans. Until then, thank you for listening and good luck.